Welcome to another episode of the Good Listening To Show, your life and times with me, Chris Grimes. The storytelling show that features The Clearing, where all good questions come to get asked and all good stories come to be told. And where all my guests have two things in common. They're all creative individuals and all with an interesting story to tell. There are some lovely storytelling metaphors. A clearing, a tree, a juicy storytelling exercise called 54321, some alchemy, some gold, a cheeky bit of Shakespeare and a cake. So it's all to play for. So yes, welcome to the Good Listening To Show, your life and times with me, Chris Grimes. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we shall begin. Yes, indeed. And what an exciting, exciting day here in the Good Listening To Show Clearing. We have got a national Trevor treasure, not called Trevor, <laughs> a national, not a national Trevor at all, a national treasure. Christopher Biggins, one Biggins, the Biggins is in the Good Listening To Show Clearing. Welcome. Thank you very much, Chris. Hurrah, you are a British, I know you know who you are, but just to blow a bit of happy smoke at you, you're a British actor, media celebrity, TV personality and compare, a grand dame or dame of pantomime. You got the best award of all after 50 years in pantomime. In 2017, you got given a Lifetime Achievement Award. And if I may, in researching you, which I've really, really enjoyed, I think you are a, a veritable sofa cushion because you've been a happy appendage to all the sofas of all the national TV programmes of our favourites that we care to mention. I think I first ever saw you in I, Claudius, playing Emperor Nero way back in the day. For years, I thought it was called I, Clav Divs. That's probably because <laughs> I was a bit of a, a school div. You never know. Um, but we've also got other commonality in that we both trained at the Bristol Olympic Theatre School and we both got our first ever job that gave us our equity card with the lovely David Wood. So that's who we have in common. And I'm really, really, really happy to have you here. You happen to be my first recording of 2023, please. Ah, fantastic. Very good. So how's morale? What's your story of the day, first of all? I know you've just come down having played. Um, it's, it's Mrs. Smee in Peter Pan, which you did many, many years ago as well, getting you going on the career of being in pantomime. I did. I, it was very interesting because this year, or rather last year, I was asked about March, I think, quite early on in the year, if I would like to go back to Darlington. Now, why Darlington is so important to me? Because I started my pantomime career in Darlington 46 years ago as the dame. And I did my first dame there for, as Mother Goose. And I then did three years there. I did... Uh, Jack and the Beanstalk and I think Dick Whittington. So that's where I started my career. And first of all, when they asked me, Dougie Squires, who directed, and Jamie Phillips, who uh, was the producer and designer, and uh, Peter Todd, who ran the theatre, they asked me to go to Darlington. I said, no, I was actually quite appalled. Because, <laughs> How um, dare you invite me to Darlington? <laughs> exactly. I mean, no, not Darlington. I, I love Darlington, but just the fact that it was pantomime. And to play a dame, every dame, I was 27 years old, every dame I'd seen up until then seemed to be in their 90s. I mean, they were very old men. And so I said no, and I kept saying no, kept saying no. And eventually they mentioned one day money. <laughs> uh, bearing in mind, this is 46 years ago uh, in a theatre where the top price ticket was one in six. They offered me a thousand pounds a week. And I thought, 
a thousand pounds a week. I'd better do this. So I did it. And of course, I fell in love with it. And I've been doing it ever since, apart from one year. And that was when, well, actually two years, but the one big year was when I, I did The Jungle. Yes, and, you, you were the, that's when you were officially crowned, not just head of The Jungle, but you were the, the nation's absolute darling from that point on. That was 20, 2007. That's right. I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, I, I love the experience. It was just wonderful. And it was it's very important to me because people say to me, like, I'm thrilled you mentioned right at the beginning, I Claudius uh, or I Claudius, uh, as we pros call it. Uh, we, because as opposed I, to I Claudius. <laughs> I Claudius, that's right. But I Claudius was um, a wonderful, wonderful role. And I, 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 I still think of it as probably one of my great roles, uh, except that the following day it was transmitted, I was offered Poldark, the sex crazed vicar, which was another wonderful role that I did for television. But I, Claudius, was just phenomenal. I mean, Nero, I really believe that I was Nero mm -hmm. in a previous life. And I, because I was, everything I had was in so common with him that it was extraordinary. I mean, I would, if I could have been anybody in the, in the past, in, in the past, it would be Nero. I mean, he was extraordinary. I mean, he had over a thousand servants. Uh, and I'd love that. <laughs> I can't tell you; it would be so wonderful. And and you play the violin and enjoy setting things alight and watching them burn. Is that yeah, absolutely all of that? So, no, sadly, <laughs> I don't play the violin. Uh, and but I I have an obsession with 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 fire. Um, and I don't know. There's just something about him that I absolutely adored. Uh, and he was it was just a wonderful role to play. But if people say to me now, what is the greatest thing you've ever done? I have to say, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Because to win that and to win it by a huge vote yes. was fantastic because you're voted in by the public. Yes. And that is what is so important to me, is the fact that the public took me under their arms and, and just uh, engulfed me. I mean, it was fantastic. And that's why it was a genuine, sincere compliment to call you a sofa cushion on all the nation, all the nation's favourite TV channel sofas. Because you've been yeah. on so, so, so many. I mean, we don't need to list the programmes, but, you know, having uh, you know, obviously co done sort of surprise, surprise with Scylla Black. I know that you're greatest, greatest friends with Dean Joan Collins as well. I mean, you, you, it, you're just there as a, as a sort of centrepiece national treasure. I know, I, I don't quite know. I mean, I, I think it's because I love life. That's one of the main things. I mean, I, I adore people and I love life. But when I look back on who I've met and what the things I've done, my career, the, the extraordinary performances that I've given, I'm very, very touched and proud by the fact that I've had such an amazing career. And it's still there, I, you know, I'm still working. Um, having just finished a, a, a long, well, not a long, but a extensively uh, hard season in Darlington, you know, where we do two shows a day, 12 shows a week. It is tough, you know, and I'm 74 years old now. And so you have to think about the future, about how, you know, are you, are you going to go on? Yes. Yet more pantomimes. And I absolutely won't pressure you to talk about what the money is nowadays, because it must be significantly uh, more than a thousand if it's a, a equivalent of a ticket price of a shilling and sixpence or something. Yes, no, you're right. It is. And there's, so that <laughs> is very nice indeed, you know, and it gives you the comfort to be able to do things and to enjoy life and stay in luxury hotels just outside Darlington called Rockcliffe Hall. Yes. And all of that, which is fantastic. So I'm really lucky. 
And I grew up when I was between 11 and 19 in South End, and I know you've played um, Dame Smee at South End, I think probably at the Cliffs Pavilion probably as well. Yes, David Hasselhoff. Fantastic. I, I mean, no which was wonderful. I mean, I, I absolutely adored him. He was enchanting, but he was a, such an unprofessional man. I think, <laughs> you know, in the theatre, you have to be in the theatre uh, by the half, and that's 35 minutes before the show goes up. Well, he used to never arrive on the half. He used to arrive at beginners, which was like five minutes to seven, say. So at seven o'clock, the curtain would go up and he would be just arriving. Um, and he was, but he was just wonderful. I didn't mind that at all, but because he was fantastic. I remember he's, I think he's now married this lovely Welsh girl that he had as a, a girlfriend. And uh, he now, uh, they're, they're married, but she went out to, my, it's always my birthday in pantomime, December the 16th. So she went out to buy me a present and she went to Poundland and bought me this stuff. And he was furious and he came in and ripped out of my hands these things that she bought me in Poundland. I said, I've got something much better for you. I'm sending it to America for it. And what it was, was one of those red um, things that you, people save lives in the ocean. Ah, yes, yes, a, a life ring. A life, well, it wasn't a ring, it's a sort of oval shape. Ah, uh, okay, okay. And it, it's very American, and he signed it, which I've still got in my garage to this day. I mean, it, it, he was a lovely, lovely man, I adore him, and, and she's gorgeous, even though she goes to Poundland. I mean, my presumption was he was always late for the half because he was running on the beach circa Baywatch, and that's why he was late, because Southend does have a, well, a beach of sorts. It does have a beach, <laughs> yes, I hadn't thought about that, but I, sadly, I don't think that was the excuse that he would have given. Uh, quite right, too. Um, also, I know you know this, but you're christened Christopher Kenneth Begins, which made me think of Norman Stanley Fletcher, because, of course, you've been in Porridge as well. Yes, I know. Uh, what a thrill. I mean, you know, we never knew in 1974 when we did Porridge that we would be uh, involved in something that would go on to, to this day. I mean, I, in that 1974, I was paid 90 pounds an episode. And if it's repeated on BBC One and BBC Two, I get over a thousand pounds. But sadly, it's never repeated on, or rather very rarely repeated on BBC One and BBC Two. And so we have to rely on the other um, satellite channels, which pay nothing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> it doesn't pay <laughs> at all. Uh, but anyway, it was wonderful to be involved with Ronnie Barker and Richard Beckinsale, who sadly died. Yes. Uh, during the making of it and, and it was tragic the whole thing was tragic but one wonderful wonderful thing to be involved in and still for it I mean you know comedy wise it stands up today brilliantly it could be could have been made yesterday I mean that's the most extraordinary thing about it yes and Rocky Barker was so generous in as much as if he felt one of his lines written by Dick Clement and Ian Refrene was better said by me or another character, he would give it because he saw the whole picture. He wasn't like most, he was, wasn't a comedian. Comedians take, 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 take. Mm. Whereas he was a great comedy actor and comedy actors give and they want the whole production to be successful. And that is why Porridge is one of the great sitcoms of the last century, I should think. I mean, it's such a, a warm and generous accolade to a fellow actor who's all about making other actors on stage with them look good for the good of the story. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, he was he was brilliant at that. And he was clever in so many ways and enchanting. And, and he was just wonderful. I adored him. Yes. Everything. And how fantastic to have been there at all those seminal moments of history. 
where <laughs> programs like I Claudius Porridge and 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 were all made. Fantastic. Yeah, no, I mean I was very very lucky. I was at the right time. It was just it was marvelous. I mean there was a we used to rehearse at the we used to call it the 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 Hilton uh, Hotel and it was, in fact it wasn't a Hilton Hotel but it was a, a rehearsal rooms the BBC had and there were three rehearsal rooms on each floor. And on the top floor, there was a canteen and it was so started. I remember getting in the lift one morning with Morecambe and Wise <laughs> and going, hi, how are you? And they went, we're very well, how are you? And I said, fine, and we chatted. I got out and thought, oh dear, oh dear. I've no, they've never met me. I, you know, I, I only know them because they're in my sitting room every Saturday night or Sunday night. And I like the fact you're in a confined space again. I have in researching you, I really enjoyed your story about the Queen coming to a dressing room, which was the size of postage stamp. Oh. And you being crammed in there with Prince Philip at the door. Oh, that is such, that was such a wonderful moment. It was the 50th anniversary, I think, of the theatre. And I was there doing giving of my puck. In fact, I was the best puck in the park that year. <laughs> and I, uh, but, I, but she doesn't like theatre. Her Majesty, Her Late Majesty. I mean, I, she was, I met her on numerous occasions and I was thrilled to have met her. She was fantastic. But anyway, so I was chosen to meet her in my dressing room, which was the size of nothing. I mean, it was, there was only room for two people in there. David Conville, who was the artistic director, stood in the doorway with Philip. And he said, this is Christopher Biggins' mom, who's playing Philistrate and Puck. And she said, how oh, lovely. And I said, well, it is lovely, mom. And I showed her my costumes. <laughs> and, I, and I then said, and these are the greeting cards that people send you. And this is the make. I mean, I was just talking trite. But I thought to myself, this poor woman must have to listen to this day in and day out. And eventually she said to me, and what are those? Pointing to a shelf. So I brought them down. And I said, these are Puck shoes. And she turned to Philip in the doorway and said, look, Philip. Puck shoes, whereupon I screamed with laughter. And there's this wonderful picture of the two of us, her looking very po-faced and me screaming with laughter. But the one thing she did have, well, she had many things, but she had a wonderful sense of humour. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I saw that on, on numerous occasions. But no, I've been very, very lucky. Very lucky indeed. And you gave me a wonderful segue about two paragraphs ago, which is uh, you, were talking tripe, <laughs> you were talking tripe to the Queen. So talking of talking tripe, let me bring you in to the structure of the good listening to show where I'm going to talk to you about a clearing, a tree, an exercise called 54321. There's going to be some alchemy, some gold. You're giving me gold by the bucket loader anyway. And then there'll be a cake via a cheeky bit of Shakespeare and uh, a couple of random squirrels as well. Right. Okay. And uh, just before we started, you went, what's all that about? So now let me explain. So let's get going. First of all, then, the epicentre is the clearing where all good questions come to get asked and all good stories come to get told. Christopher Biggins, what is, where is a clearing for you? Where do you go to get clutter-free, inspirational and able to think? You may be surprised at this. and I don't know. I mean, you've obviously interviewed a lot of people, so the answers must be fascinating. But my clearing is my car Aha. and the car is is a clearing because you know i i used to love driving and i used to love driving uh, um, uh convertibles um and i i had my first convertible was a citroen 2cv which i absolutely adored where you rolled the roof back and then i went on to bmw convertibles and then peugeot convertibles and now we have a a fiat 500 top of the range uh, convertible, which with an electric roof, which is fantastic. So I've always loved that. And I remember being vividly in, in a, my BMW at traffic lights and a, 
uh, and it was the, the beginning of my career. And uh, I was having a, a, quite a bit, of, a bit of success. And I remember this, this lorry driver looked down at me and he went, oh, hello, lukewarm, how are you? <laughs> and uh, you know, you thought to yourself, yes, that's it, I've arrived now, I've arrived. So lukewarm was, was just perfect. And then of course, now I get biggins all the time, which is a, a great thing. I, I love being called biggins. I mean, biggins is the most wonderful name. I mean, it's my name, I haven't made it up and it sums up me brilliantly, I think. So it's as iconic as Biggles, isn't it? Biggins, Biggles. Uh, 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 yes, I know. Love, and you've got Biggin, you've got Biggles goggles as well for glasses, which are very iconic on your face as well. Uh, well, I mean, and it, it it is, but the car is great because I I love the car because once you get in it and shut the door, you're on your own. Yes. And you can think about things. You can. I listen to radio too, uh, always. Except now, I used to love radio too in the evenings when I was going home, perhaps for after a theatre or something. Uh, and now Radio 2 is hideous. It's awful. It's good during the day. And I love Elaine Page and I love uh, various, you know, theatrical people who are on it now. But it's losing something. And I hope they don't completely take it away from us because it's always been my uh, go to radio station. I never listen to the radio in the house, interestingly enough. Just in the kingdom of your car. Just in the kingdom of my car. And, you know, the house, I'm mad on television so we have televisions everywhere you're you won't be surprised to hear that i got 54 inches in the uh, bedroom and it's, <laughs> it's absolutely and i i know a lot of people say you should never have a television in the bedroom they're absolutely wrong that's but i just congratulate you for the expression i've got 54 inches in the bedroom i love that that's fantastic <laughs> So the car is great, and you can you can go places. You can uh, you can be silent if you want to. You can think about you know what you've got to do. You know you make uh, memos in your brain as to what to do next. You know it's it's a great uh, space. Yes, and I and I, I love it, and I treasure it. And I can imagine you not being a, a particularly aggressive or angry driver, just a very at at one at peace. Well, uh, that's interesting you should say that. I, as I'm getting older, I do get really angry. <laughs> I do swear <laughs> at, ah, wonderful. at other drivers because they are appalling. I mean, I, some of them don't have licenses, I don't think. And they really uh, are rude. And I, I shout at people now. I mean, you know, it's, but it, that's, that's me just a, a funny old age. And by the way, I know that your dad used to run a garage called Middleton Motors. So did, did that give you your love of cars? You know, I think it did. When I first passed my test, which I did on, I think, the second time, uh, I got through 12 cars that year because I used to go into the garage and say uh, to dad, oh, can I have that car? And then I turn over a, a mini van I had and I turned it over and smashed it all. So I had to have a new one after that. And it's so much so that the insurance company said to me, I'm afraid we're going to have to charge you 10 shillings every time you change your car because you're changing them so many times. So, uh, I mean, I, I do love cars, I have to say. I mean, I really do. So your clearing then is a car of choice. So do you want to be in your current car, which is a Fiat convertible or, or pick a car in your life that you most enjoyed being in? No, I think the car that I would have from choice uh, is the is a top of the range Bentley. I think that would be wonderful. And the, of one course. Thing, the one thing I would love and the first thing I'm going to do when I win the lottery is get a chauffeur. 
I think, the idea <laughs> of a chauffeur. And you say to him, uh, James, uh, take me to the Delorney and we'll have, I'm having lunch and then pick me up at two o'clock or 2.30. I just think that is just to die for. That's so delicious. The fact that I'm going to show for you through, see what I'm doing here in your Bentley of the Clearing, which is lovely. I'm going to show for you through the rest of your journey now. Right, great. Thank so we're in your convertible Bentley, vehicle of choice. I'll be your chauffeur if I may. And now I arrive with a tree, Christopher Biggins, to shake your tree to see which storytelling apples fall out. So uh, this is the second bit of preparation where you're now going to tell us four things that have shaped you, please. Well, four things that have sh uh, shaped me, I suppose. The first thing I have to say are my parents. I mean, I was an only child uh, until I was 18 years old and I was leaving home uh, I've been in Salisbury Rep where I met David Wood, who you mentioned earlier, and David and I became really good friends. And I, I was at Salisbury Rep with him and Stephanie Cole was in the company and she said I should go to drama school. So I applied for the Bristol Vic, which she suggested I should go to. I got in and I went off when I was 18 years old to Bristol. And as I was leaving, my mother said to me, oh, she said uh, they were from the West Country. She, oh, by the way, she said, uh, I'm pregnant. And I said, don't be so stupid. I mean, the thought of, you know, I was 18 years old, my parents still doing it was ghastly. <laughs> I can't tell you, I was horrified. And so I do have a, a brother who's 18 years younger than me called okay. Sean, who is adorable, but he's not like a brother, he's a friend. Was uh, your brother an ambulance driver? Did I get that right? Yes, my goodness, your search is fantastic. Yes, he's an ambulance driver, which he loves. But anyway, he's an ambulance driver and he's very proud of it and he's not striking. Um, and which I think is good because I'm very anti, I mean, I, you know, if I could, I'd give everybody a, a huge amount of money. I would, you know, raise their salaries, but it's not possible. How could we do it? Well, if you like, I can show you around the Bentley throwing cash out the windows. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Wonderful. <laughs> so so anyway, the first, first bit of shapers then, your parents, yeah. Next and they, they paid for my education. They sent me to a private school because I had a great auntie Vi, who was a great snob. And she insisted I have elocution lessons, which I did. That's why I talk like I do now. And But they were worked really hard. My father worked all day, all night, practically. My mother, the same. And they, they did that to, to make my life better. And they succeeded. And they are truly magnificent uh, creatures who sadly are no longer with us. And your father obviously had to work hard because he's giving you, he's turning you over 12 cars a year. <laughs> <laughs> so the second big of, bit of shapage now. Well, I suppose I have to really give that to Mrs. Christian, who, when I went to my private school, which my parents paid for, she was the elocution mistress that taught me how to speak uh, the Queen's English. And also she saw in me something that um, she thought there was an actor in me, I think. So she encouraged that. So I, uh, I was able to, she gave me all sorts of wonderful roles at school. And uh, she, she got me ready for my first job, which was Salisbury Rep. And bearing in mind that those days, reps were fantastic places for actors. And I feel very sorry for actors nowadays who can't, actually use that anymore because it doesn't exist I mean you know the training ground is fantastic and so she enabled me to go to Salisbury rep and say uh, Mr Salzburg 
can you give me a job? And uh, he said, yes, you can come for two shows. No, one show. You can come for one show, uh, which I did. And then I stayed for two years. I was on two pounds a week, heavily <laughs> subsidized by my parents. And I used to do, I used to love propping, going out and getting the props. And often my parents would come and see the play and there was more of their home on the stage than there was a back home. <laughs> uh, you know, I used to take everything and uh, furnish. Well, I have been following you in your footsteps because my first rep job after the old uh, Vic Theatre School as well was the Salzburg studio in a production of Hamlet. And oh, I know really? that, that was subsequently named after his death, presumably. Yes. Uh, no, and, uh, also, Reggie Salzburg was, was a fantastic uh, man, unbelievable. But more importantly, he was married to a wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, and she was a director. She was fantastic. Uh, I just dried on her name now. Hang on, it'll come to me in a minute. But anyway, she was directing Joan of Arc, and we did two weekly rep. And the first week was was all the, uh, really what you could call the extras. Ants and Joan were rehearsing. And then the Inquisitor, I don't know if you're familiar with the play. The second act of the play is all about the Inquisitor and he never stops talking. I mean, it was a, a mammoth role. And it was played by an actor called Donald Pelmier. So he was given the first week off to learn the lines. And the second week he arrived. And I remember him, we were all on stage. And um, what was her name? This is terrible. I know this name. It's, so not, it's well. not helpful to say Mrs. Salzburg at this point, is no, it? No, no, <laughs> uh, it's not because she was, uh, oh, anyway, no, it, it, I hope it will come before I finish. Anyway, so she was on the stage directing and she turned to walk downstage took down the main staircase uh, from the stage to the, to the auditorium and coming down the aisle was Donald Pelmier and she saw him and she went, Donald Ducks! And I, I'll always remember that. <laughs> she was so outrageous, but she didn't know what she'd said, but it was the funniest thing. Noreen Craven, there you are. Worth the wait, there we go. Worth the wait, but she was fantastic. I mean, a wonderful, wonderful director and an outrageous character. So I was very, very lucky. Um, and that, you know, certainly was my, Mrs. Christian has to be there. Lovely. She's number two shapage. Uh, third thing that shaped you? Well, I suppose it has to be a man called Nat Brenner. Ooh. Who ran the, who you must know. Uh, yes, I, I was one of the last wave of those. He was dying of emphysemia. That yeah. was the Bristol Olympic Theatre School. It was in, in, the, in the halcyon days of him and Rudy Shelley. I was there at that time too. Uh, and Rudy was fantastic. But Nat was extraordinary because Nat, our year was a particularly young year. And um, we had a, a couple of actors who fell in love and uh, got married. And I became their, was their best man. And uh, I went on their honeymoon and he was, uh, and it finished a year later, the marriage, and I had to go and separate all the presents and give them back to people. Anyway, uh, we, uh, I went on their honeymoon and which was, which was lovely. It wasn't Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, I'm joking. No, 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 no. <laughs> no that would be wonderful if it was. But it was almost, almost as grand as that. But the, she was an actress who was fantastic and she was going to be a big, big star. And he was really a joke if you like. Um, but anyway, so they got married and they separated and she then went back to her doctor, previous boyfriend, and married him and had three, two or three children by him. And the other one was a man called Jeremy Irons who went on to win Oscars. And, you know, and it, it was incredible because he, and that brother could see talent. I mean, he was extraordinary. It may not have been the sort of talent you thought, 
But there was something about, and I became very friendly with his wife. And if you remember, they lived above the theatre school yes. uh, in Clifton. And I spent most of my time upstairs gossiping with her. And he would come up and we'd have wonderful chats. And uh, it was a, a, a marvellous two years of my life. So I'd have to say Nat Brenner has to be there because it, it, it was, he groomed me, I think, into the, what I am today. And just to go back a step, it wasn't, it, was it Jeremy, you weren't describing Jeremy Irons as the joke, or were you? Was that the irony? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, there it was, yes. Blimey. Yes. And he, you know, and he wasn't really, you know, you, you wouldn't have said, oh, this man's going to earn a, a, an Oscar one day. Yes. Uh, but he did. And, you know, he proved us all wrong. But he was an adorable man. And I still love him. And I still see him. And he's, he's great. And funny enough, I introduced him to his second wife, Sinead Cusack. Uh, because we did a show called London Assurance uh, in the West End, which we took from uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company. And next door to us was a show called um, uh, Godspell, mm -hmm. in which Jeremy played the lead. Uh, well, uh, one of the leads in that. So that's how they met. And I introduced mm -hmm. them. So he's got two marriages to thank me for. Yes. <laughs> Lovely. So I think we could on to the fourth thing to shape you now, unless we've done the four of those. No, uh, well, a fourth one well, just shaped me. I think Alan Boyd, uh, who was a uh, producer with ITV, uh, I was doing pantomime in Newcastle. I was doing Mother Goose, funny enough, and he came up to see me and took me out for dinner and said they're doing a show, uh, a variety show with a difference, and it was called Surprise, Surprise. And he very much liked me to play uh, one of the uh, presenters of it. And I was so excited uh, that I couldn't believe it. I really didn't take it in. You know, I was sort of rather low key about it because it was going to be a, a major weekend television series for London Weekend Television. And I was going to be one of the presenters out of two. And at the end of it, he said, I'm interested that you haven't asked who the other presenter is. And I said, oh, God, I'm sorry. What, who is the other presenter? And he said, Scylla Black. Well, I couldn't believe it because Scylla Black was an icon to me. I mean, she was extraordinary. I mean, I, I can't say that I grew up with her, but I did grow up with her, you know. I mean, I knew her and I knew the fact that she had semi-retired to have children and she brought up her three boys magnificently. And then she came back on a Wogan show and she made such an impact. That's where London Weekend decided to give her this show and decided to ask me to co-host with her. And that was the most extraordinary thing. And I, I always think that Alan was, saw obviously something in me and I, I'll never forget because it, it then propelled me into another, yet another field, you know, which I absolutely adored. It's um, the instinct for the chemistry of a double act, isn't it? I'm hearing there. Yes, I, I think Like so. the Morecambe and Wise in the lift, Scylla Black yeah. and Christopher Biggins. It's, yes, absolutely. And we did get on so well and I became really good friends of hers. And I was devastated when she died. Uh, I was devastated when Bobby died. And we went out that day that he died to be with her and uh, her children. And uh, it, was, it was very, very upsetting uh, because he did everything for her. And I remember the first time we went out, she said, she gave me her credit card and she said, you paid for the dinner tonight. And I said, no, what do you mean? We'll all go Dutch. She said, what's, what's Dutch? And I said, well, Dutch is where we all pay for ourselves. Oh, no, Bobby would have hated that. He would, I said, but that's how, what life is now. 
And she gave me the credit card and we didn't use it. We did all go Dutch. And, um, but she, she was completely lost. He did everything for her. When I went home after the day he died and she rang me at midnight in tears because she didn't know how to feed the dogs. Wow. Uh, you know, he, he was the most extraordinary man. And he, he really made and created this star and put her on a pedestal and she, she didn't carry money. She didn't do anything. He did everything. And he was a wonderful man. So that would be my fourth. Yes, the fourth shaping. Lovely. Thank yes. you for that. And so now we're on to three things that inspire you. So if there's any overlap, don't worry about that because they could all be of a similar ilk. But three things that inspire you now. Interesting. Inspire is a very interesting word. Um, I'm inspired by a girlfriend of mine who is called Trisha Guild. And she has a design shop called Designers Guild. And she uh, married one of my best friends called Richard Polo, who uh, had a restaurant called Joe Allen's. And he brought it from New York to London. And uh, overnight, I have to perhaps include Richard as well as Tricia, but overnight, he, they changed my life because up until then, I thought that eating in a restaurant you did when you were hungry. I had no idea that there was a social side to eating. <laughs> and certainly Joe Allen's blew London apart because you used to go there and the place was heaving. Everybody was there. Everybody in show business because it opened late. The food was very simple and brilliant. Uh, it was just wonderful. You'd go there and you'd meet friends. I mean, sometimes I'd go there and it would take me an hour before I got to my seat because I'm saying hello to people. Mm. And so it, it was extraordinary. And, and then he married Tricia. And Tricia is a wonderful, wonderful interior designer. And we, most of our house is full of her stuff. And she is an inspiration because uh, he sadly died, Richard. And she really looked after him in an unusual way, in a way that you'd never thought she would, but she did. And she was also working very hard and, and not only looking after him, but looking after their homes and everything. And she is extraordinary. I mean, her energy and her um, talent is huge. So uh, they have to be there at the top of that list, I think. Second influencer or influencing element? I suppose uh, I love actresses. And I've had the pleasure of working with some wonderful actresses, uh, namely Judy Dench, who uh, is extraordinary. She taught me how to remember people's names. Like you all should, should always repeat uh, the name, uh, Christian name and surname. So if you're in introduced to Christopher Biggins, you go, Christopher Biggins, you repeat it. How are you, Christopher? You know, and so that sort of goes in for that moment. And it, that was very clear. But also she was unbelievable. We were lucky enough. We were doing a season at the RSC at the Aldwych. And we were lucky enough to be doing a wonderful season, London Assurance, which was an incredible production, which we then transferred to the West End. Uh, there was uh, Twelfth Night, Henry VIII with Peggy Ashcroft and Donald Sindon. There was, um, uh, it was several others, and it was a wonderful season. But Judy got married to Michael Williams at, the, at a matinee 
of before the matinee of Twelfth Night. And uh, that night she came on stage for the curtain call and all of us threw confetti over her. And the whole audience went wild. I mean, they really did. It was extraordinary. One of those wonderful moments you'll never forget. And she, she deserved that. She deserves everything she gets. I mean, I think it's wonderful that she's suddenly become a huge film star. Uh, she's so generous in her time. Uh, you know, the fact now that she can't see is just awful. But, you know, if you go up and say, hi, Judy, it's Biggins, she'll go, Biggins, how are you? you know, she is so enthusiastic with life. That is what's so marvellous about her. I've just seen her in the Sondheim repeat of the programme that was made oh, last year, singing Bring, Bring on the Clowns. I mean, just wonderful. Bring. I mean, I was lucky enough to be there in the theatre seeing right. her live. And it was one of the great, but I thought the whole thing was wonderful, didn't you? Absolutely. Beautiful. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, Cameron is, uh, he's, have I got one more to go? You have. Yeah, well, so Cameron would be, would, would be the last one because, um, I've known Cameron for nearly 50 years and I used to, uh, as an actor, used to work for him in the office. And in those days, we would rob one production to pay another production. And <laughs> I remember we did a, a, a Rock Nativity, which we opened in, um, oh, Newcastle at the Theatre Royal. And it was pretty much a disaster, I can't tell you, and the, the technical. In those days, there were no uh, mics, you know, radio mics. It was all mics on leads. And at the end of Act One, when Jesus is suddenly born, uh, Mary was tangled up with about another 50 mics. And she was on the floor, staggering to get a, a, her mouth around this mic. And in an exasperation, she threw the baby Jesus <laughs> in the air and it slid down the cross arch. And I can't tell you, it's one of the greatest moments ever. And Cameron has the best sense of humour. And even though he could see this production leaving him and, and, and failing miserably, we never stopped laughing. I mean, it was the funniest thing. And Cameron is, uh, has been such a friend of mine. And he's, uh, I suppose I'm his oldest friend in a way. And uh, we have the same sense of humour. We see each other and speak to each other all the time. He is incredibly kind and generous and he's wonderful. And I couldn't be more pleased with his success. I mean, his success is phenomenal. I mean, he's the greatest theater producer we've ever had. And, and you know, to have musicals, which we will never see happen again, mm. lasting 35, 40 years, is extraordinary. Mm. I mean, you know, he, and, you know, when you think the start of all that was Les Mis, and Les Mis was, given a very, the Barbican when it opened. And I went to the first night and absolutely adored it. But the critics and a lot of the public hated it, but he wasn't going to be put off by that. I think he spent a lot of money. He knew that it was a show that would run, not 30 odd years, but it would run. And he persisted and he, and he everybody said, no, don't transfer it, you'll lose everything. And he told them to fuck off and he absolutely <laughs> did it. And he, it was only him that made that show the phenomenal success and made him, you know, the, 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 the producer of the decade. I mean, or, or of a century. I the mean, tenacity, courage and just the conviction to tell them to, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And that is what makes him so great. You know, he, and he has 
had the odd flop here and there, but it doesn't matter. I think that makes him an even better man than he is, but he's, and he also adores, I mean, we talked about the Side by Side by Sondheim, which is on television recently. It was a great, great show. And of course, Sondheim was a good friend of his. And they, again, had a wonderful link with humour. And they would go uh, on holiday together. And it, it, was, it was just wonderful. And Sondheim is the greatest lyricist songwriter ever. I mean, some of his songs. And I, I remember that um, he wrote a musical, Merrily We Roll Along. And I saw Merrily We Roll Along in New York in, in a preview. And I was lucky enough because after the preview, it lasted a week and it came off. But it was what it is to me, the greatest musical ever. It's mm. just phenomenal. And that was Stephen Sondheim. And once again, you know, he was advised by people that he, oh, I don't know how he was advised, but anyway, it came off and I don't think it should have done. It was just, but there's a wonderful documentary, by the way, uh, on, ten, on one of the channels uh, and it's a fabulous documentary about the making of it, mm. the failure of it. And it's, it's really worth watching. Um, but it, it was a fantastic show. And he, you know, he was another good friend of Cameron's and Cameron is extraordinary and I love him dearly. And we're the bestest of friends, which is lovely. And now we're on to two things that never fail to grab your attention. So this is borrowed from the film Up. This is, oh, squirrels, if that is a reference that is uh, familiar to you. What never fails to get your attention, whatever else is going on for you in your hectic life? Well, um, I suppose beauty. Um, I think, you know, there's there's something about, uh, I mean, you, you know I'm gay. And uh, there, I've been blessed with having a lot of lovers in my life who have been beautiful. And I think beauty is terrific. I mean, I, I, I think it, it can also be awful. I think it can, it can put people on a different line, but beauty is very nice. To have someone beautiful on your arm is truly wonderful. And I think it gives you the courage and the tenacity to be able to live life to the full in a way. And I've always been lucky and I've always had attractive men on my arm. And uh, I, I have now, my soulmate we've been together 36 years i think i mean it's fantastic neil is uh, an extraordinary man and he um he does everything for me now he's he's a wonderful carer I, last year i had or two years ago i had a new knee put in and i had a, a new valve put into my heart and so i'm like bionic man and <laughs> i couldn't have done it without him i mean he's been absolutely fantastic and in my research uh, am i right in assuming he used to work for british airways is that right he did work for british airways poor thing and, uh, so I, do you mind if i ask did you meet on a flight or is it not quite as obvious no, as that? no, no funny enough what happened was we met in a, in a nightclub in glasgow <laughs> and then um, I asked. <laughs> and I was with someone else, and it didn't quite work out. We saw each other, and then, yeah, you know, things we didn't see each other for a while. And I was on a flight coming back from Barbados because I was artistic director for three years of a Shakespeare and opera season in Barbados. Not a bad job. I remember Nicola McAuliffe. I rang her and said, Nicola, would you like to come to Barbados for a month? And uh, <laughs> this amount of money and you do this and you get accommodation and food and you do this and will you direct this and will you star in this and she said that's very nice thank you and she was rather low-key we the phone went down and what was very and she rang back a minute later and she said um you did say Barbados didn't you I said <laughs> you didn't. she went ah! <laughs> <laughs> well I mean so and she was we had a wonderful time in fact she came out 
uh, to Barbados with her boyfriend and they got married in Barbados. And uh, so that was that was wonderful. I mean, it, it was a great, great job. And I, I, I that was a wonderful period of my life. So you've had lots of halcyon days with halcyon windows of opportunity on lubricated hinges opening for you, it would yes. seem. You're around at the right place at the right time many times over, which is a lovely accolade to be able to consider. Yes. And I, so in the structure, beauty was the thing that never fails to grab your attention. And so the second squirrel now, what, what never fails to grab your attention as a monster of distraction for you? Well, I suppose talent. Uh, because talent is extraordinary. I mean, you know, you can go, to, I go to the theatre a lot. Uh, I love the theatre and uh, talent is amazing because you can go and see somebody in a play or a musical or whatever, and they are brilliant. You can go back six months later and see them being appalling. <laughs> and you know it's it's extraordinary that that ha that's what it the talent is all about i think is because i think if you're good all the time i think it you know it becomes rather boring and you know we've seen great great actors and i worry that we're not breeding eccentrics mm. anymore and by the way that's so uh, resonant with i read something about james stewart talking about the moments of magic that you create and it was a, an article about It's a Wonderful Life, which of its day, I mean, it's, it's heralded as the greatest Christmas film ever, but of it its is. day, it, it didn't do very well. And no, yet he's proudest of it because of the moments of magic that happened within it. Yeah, no, I mean, he's quite right. I mean, that was just a wonderful film. Uh, you know, but you know, I was privileged uh, to meet uh, uh, some very famous people like John Gilgood and Edith Evans and Ralph Richardson. In fact, I've got a, a Ralph Richardson story, I'll tell you. But first of all, uh, there was a, a, an actress called Athene Siler. Do you ever remember Athene Siler? No, Athene, say the name a again. Athene, Athene Siler. Mm -hmm. So uh, she uh, was in this play. She had third billing to John Gilgood, Ralph Richardson, <laughs> Eden Evans. And the producer, Binky Beaumont said, look, I'll, I'm going to give you a box. Well, that's and such a theatre name as well, Binky Beaumont. <laughs> I know, Binky Beaumont, wonderful. <laughs> but, uh, we, so they gave her a box. Uh, so, uh, so it said, Ralph Richardson, John Gielgud, Edith Evans, in whatever the play was, and in the bottom was a box with Athene Siler. So she's thrilled, and she goes to Brighton for the first night, and she gets it, the stage door, there's the poster, all the names are right, and when it gets down to the box, it says, with a tiny sailor. <laughs> 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 Same difference, uh, but, but different. I know, but my John, my uh, Ralph Richardson story is is uh, <laughs> a classic. Uh, he, uh, I was a I was made a member by Winston Graham, who wrote the Poldark novels. I was a uh, uh, he gave me membership of a club called the Savile Club in London, and I was too young, I think, to really appreciate it. I mean, but it was really rather wonderful. And they, if you went in on your own for lunch or dinner, you sat at the table that had singles. So you'd sit there and you'd make conversation with other, other members. And the waitresses weren't allowed to interrupt you to find out what you wanted to have. So he was there for lunch. And at quarter to two, the waitress had to say to him, excuse me, sir, but you've not written anything down. What would you like for lunch? And he went, oh, oh. Oh, I, I'd like a jam omelette. So she said, all right, so she went away and she came back five minutes later and she says, chef says, who's it for? 
And he said, tell chef, it's for Sir Ralph Richardson. And she came back five minutes later and said, chef says no. <laughs> and he turned to the man he was dining with and said, who'd you have to be to get a jab on? <laughs> <laughs> That's a lovely story. <laughs> and now we could be at a quirky or unusual fact about you we couldn't possibly know until you tell us, Mr. Biggins. I really, really enjoy eating out. So the quirky or unusual fact is you like eating out in a nutshell. I like eating out, yes. Is that quirky enough? That's that'll do for me. That's awesome. <laughs> OK, now we've shaken your tree. Huzzah. And now we're moving away from the tree, staring in the clearing, staying in the clearing. And we're going to talk about alchemy and gold. Now, when you're right. at purpose and in flow begins, what are you absolutely happiest doing? Well, I'm happiest, I think, uh, being with Neil. Uh, we get on so well. We have such a good time. We have rows, of course, but like everybody does. And I love going abroad. I mean, I love traveling. Traveling, I think, is marvelous. We enjoy going on cruises. And I, I've done a lot of lectures on cruises, which I really adore. And people come to me and say, what do you think? Should I go? And I said, do you like people? And they say, no. I said, then don't go because you can't get away from people. You can't <laughs> go on a cruise and sit in your cabin all the time. Uh, you have to be able to go out and enjoy the people, the public. And I do, I, I love the public. So that is, uh, you know, and holidays, we've been everywhere. The only place we haven't been, and I want to rectify that this year, is Japan. And I'd love to go. And I think, funnily enough, I'd like to go on a, a ship to Japan. Lovely. Now we're going to award you with a cake. Right. So um, this is the final storytelling metaphor where you get to put a cherry on the cake uh, begins, which is uh, stuff like what's a favourite inspirational quote that's always given you sucker and given you help, pulled you towards your future. Then it could be what notes, help or advice might you offer to a younger version of begins. Right. And then it could be um, finally we're, we're cranking up to Shakespeare and all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. We'll talk about legacy and how you'd most like to be remembered. But we'll get there. So what's yeah. a favourite quote, first of all? Well, oh, sorry, do you like cake, first of all? Sorry, I forgot to ask oh, you I that. Love cake. Yes, I love cake. Yes. So what's the, what's the cake of choice, please? Well, I think, uh, I, I think I'm going to say, and you may, and this may be a bit boring, but I love Christmas cake. And I love Christmas cake with marzipan, but not icing. And my great auntie Vi, the snob I was telling you about, she used to make wonderful Christmas cake and the most marvellous marzipan to go on it. And I absolutely love that. And I get very upset when they put icing on top of that. I love that she's a terrible snob, but she made great Christmas cake with marzipan. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> she was, she was uh, incredible. I mean, I, I, I adored her. She was wonderful, uh, very special. She had a, a wonderful seed shop in Faversham and uh, it's still there to this day because it's, it's a listed building. A seed uh, shop, did you say? Yes, seed. And she made a lot of money during the war uh, because she sold, I think, things that people couldn't get hold of. Uh, OK. Prices. Uh, but she, she was a real character and uh, she was my grandfather's sister. Um, and she she was wonderful. I, I adored her. She was very special. Uh, and um, do you mind if I ask, did you get any, I, I'm not, I don't necessarily perceive you as being one, but because you've mentioned again, she was a terrible snob. And yet, yet you've said, are you a snob is what I'm sort of saying. Have you got some of that from her? No, I don't think I have, funny enough. I mean, I think I'm the most unsnobby person I know. 
because I, uh, we have got in our book, our diary, what well, not diary, address book, we've got millionaires, we've got working actors, we've got uh, friends who have no money at all. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's quite eclectic. Mm. And I like that. I like the fact and I love being friends with millionaires. I mean, that, that is wonderful. I love getting, going on their jets. I love uh, helicopters. I love all the luxury things, you know, and I would quite like that, I suppose. But it's much better, I think, to live vicariously off others. <laughs> I love the antidote to snobbery, which is to, to have an eclectic address book. Like <laughs> exactly, exactly. What's the, fa- the favourite inspirational quote? That's always oh, right, that's right. Yes. Well, I think I have to turn to Oscar Wilde, I think, uh, who uh, was I was very much uh, a fan of. I mean, I think what he, happened to him was just appalling. And there are so many quotes uh, that he gave. Um, and I'm just trying to think of one now. But I, I think that I think nearly everything he quoted was fantastic and meant something to me. And I think meant something to a lot of people, especially gay people. And uh, I will always thank him for that. So uh, is that enough? Yes. Generally, his quotes are worth looking up, is what you're saying. So go to Oscar Wilde for all your your main inspiration. Exactly. Lovely. And uh, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? The best piece I've been ever, ever given is begins never stop laughing. And, and I think that is just fantastic. I mean, I laugh all the time. I have a very recognisable laugh. I remember Leslie Joseph and I, who are a great, great friend of mine, we went to see um, the American comedian. Um, oh, Ruby die. Wax, are you talking about? No, no, no. no. American, American. Oh, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, Dole. Uh, um, th- no, Joan Rivers. No, Joan Rivers. We yes, went to thank Joan you. Rivers at the Haymarket Theatre, and Leslie and I got a review in Times uh, <laughs> for our laugh, <laughs> and I'm thrilled at that because she was. And I met her. I had dinner with her at Joan Collins's uh, one night, and uh, she was quite quiet, which I found interesting. And at the end of the evening, she said, "Christopher," she said, "Do you like shopping?" So I said, yes, I do. She said, would you like to shop with me tomorrow? So I said, I'd love to. So I went shopping in uh, the markets in London and we had the best time. And she was just fantastic, Uh, a real inspiration. And I think laughter is wonderful. I mean, I can't think of anything better than having a good laugh. And do you remember who said it to you? It's obviously manifested beautifully, but who said begins never stop laughing? I can't remember who said it. I think several people have said it to me. Mm. And, I, and I, I take it on board and I, I will never stop laughing. I mean, mm. I always, and I think Joan Collins is in Los Angeles at the moment and we were talking um, the other day on the phone and I said, you're having a nice day? She said, I am, she said, but they're not as funny over here. Oh. You know, we, I, we love going out with you because you're funny. And I think that was a great accolade, really a lovely thing to say because I do love, there's nothing like a good laugh. And obviously it's uh, Dame Jones' 90th coming up soon. Are you obviously going to be sort of, you know, man of honour at the party? Well, I, I've, I've done her wedding and I've done her last birthday and I've done their anniversary, so I'm sure I will be. I mean, it, it, she is, she's the most extraordinary woman I've ever met. I mean, she is 
brilliant. I mean, she is so kind. She is funny. Uh, she uh, she once again enjoys life to the full, mm. and she's had the most amazing life. She's had almost the most amazing life as Christopher Biggins. Dame Christopher Biggins and Dame Joan, how wonderful. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, so now I think we could be at the point of uh, Shakespeare and all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. How, when all is said and done, Christopher Biggins, would you most like to be remembered? Well, I think I'd like to be remembered. And I'm, I'm sorry to repeat this uh, for my joy of life and my laughter. And uh, I think if I, we, on my gravestone, if we could put, he made us laugh would be fantastic and a, a great epitaph. Thank you. Just doing a bit of silence there deliberately to let that hang. Lovely. And uh, could we now find out um, where we can find out all about One Begins when we want to on the internet, please? Oh, right. Well, I think I'm, I'm, I'm Instagram and I think it may be One Begins, O-N-E-B-I-G-G-I-N-S. And I think the same is, is true of uh, Twitter. Yes. Yes, I, I don't have any others. I mean, it's bad enough keeping in touch with those, you know, but it's it's good and it's very nice to have people's reaction to you, you know, and people mm. saying nice things. And we all like nice things, don't we, being said about us. And so it, it's nice to get reassured. And it's been a great pleasure, by the way, chauffeuring you in the open top Bentley <laughs> through the curated journey of the Good Listening To show. As this has been your moment in the sunshine in the Good Listening To show, is there anything else you'd like to say, Christopher Biggins? No. Wonderful. So you've been listening to me, Chris Grimes, but most importantly, this has been. <laughs> and we're leaving you on laughter. One Biggins. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. And good night. You've been listening to The Good Listening To Show here on UK Health Radio with me, Chris Grimes. Oh, it's myself. If you've enjoyed the show, then please do tune in next week to listen to more stories from The Clearing. If you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, then please do so. There's also a dedicated Facebook group for the show too. You can contact me about the programme, or if you'd be interested in experiencing some personal impact coaching with me, care of my Level Up Your Impact programme, that's chris at secondcurve.uk. On Twitter and Instagram, it's... At that Chris Grimes. So until next time, from me, Chris Grimes, from UK Health Radio, and from Stan... To your good health. And goodbye. Okay, so um, this is just a quick Captain's Log supplementary. Just been given a good listening to, hearing the good listening to show. How was the curated journey of that for you? I know when we first spoke, you said, I'm not quite sure what this is all about. How was that subsequently? I loved it. It was fantastic. It was very interesting. And I think because I didn't quite know what I was going to answer, I think was good. And I think, funny enough, if you do know and you do have the answers, it can't. I think it might not be as good a programme as I think this one we've just done was was seemed to me really good. Thank you. And anything else you'd like to say at this point? Uh, what a joy it's been, Chris, to be with a, a fellow Bristolovic Theatre School boy and for us to have chatted for a, a, about an hour or more. And, and I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs>